Um, tonight we're, we're in a series on healing, but before we talk about that, uh, this week, I was, at least Thursday night, I was up in Phoenix and I got home on um, Saturday evening. And what I was doing up there was I was meeting with a the Christian Reformed denomination. Now, our church does not belong to that particular denomination, but um, I was ordained in that denomination. Rod, or the pastor, was ordained in that denomination. And so they've been really kind to us. For almost 14 years, in some ways, they've seen the village as their, what they call R&D, the place to go experiment and to learn things from. Well, we were up there in Phoenix with the other, or I was up there with the other seven or so churches, and what this particular region has been asked to do is to reinvent what we call classes, which is a fleet of ships, you know, coming together. I know it doesn't make any sense, but anyway, to reinvent the way we're together. Um, and so we did that, and it was, it was fun. But anyway, in March, March 7th and March 8th, um, in Phoenix, we will be going up, whoever wants to go up, and we will be having, we'll have an opportunity to play some music, to tell some stories, to get to know other people um, who are following Jesus and who we're connected to and who've cared for us for a long time. Um, so if you want to be part of that, if you just want to go up on Saturday or you want to come up on Friday and, and get to meet people and to sing and to hear stories about what God is doing, talk to me. I may talk to you and ask you if you'll go up with me anyway, but if you're interested in knowing more about that or you want to just take a trip to Phoenix before it gets really hot, anything like that, um, talk to me. They'll put, they'll put you up, so you'll have a place to stay. It'll just be the cost of getting up there. So anyway, that's where I was. That's what I was doing. Um, and I just wanted to put a plug in for that. So we're in this series on healing, and we've been, we're starting in the Gospel of Mark and looking at how Jesus approaches people, how Jesus heals people, um, and then we'll kind of slip into the Gospel of John later on and look at some other events. But right now, we're going to be at the end of uh, Mark chapter 2 and the beginning of Mark chapter 3. But what I've been doing, if you don't know, the kids from 8 to 12, um, they have these worksheets that when they're in the service, they're kind of going through the worksheet which is on the text that we're doing. And part of that worksheet is for them to draw a cartoon. And so I've told them if they draw a cartoon and I can understand it, it gets to go up here as the review. Okay, so I know maybe you can't see it very well, but uh, I'll just kind of interpret it for you. So last week, the paralytic was who was healed. And so we have Jesus standing here, and he's got a really nice beard. And then he's standing there again, and he hears help. And he looks over, and it says, Please, I have a paralyzed leg. So, laying there, and then Jesus kneels down and heals him, and then he says, thanks. And uh, then everybody says, oh, he's Jesus. So that's kind of how that story went. Um, there was a hole in the roof and some other events, but that, that's last week, Jesus healed the paralytic. And um, some of the things that we talked about were just, what is it in your life that paralyzes you. And so what we talked a lot about was how anxiety seems to be in our culture, and in particular in this church, something that paralyzes a lot of us. That, that this intense internal fear that we have. Um, and so we kind of were processing through some of that. Now, this week, we're going to start out at the end of Mark chapter 2, 
And as we've been looking at how Jesus heals people, one of the things that has come out is that Jesus gets away a lot, right? He heals people, he's doing stuff in the community, and then he just goes away to lonely places, and he, he's alone, and he gets away from, from things. And so we're going to, in Mark chapter 2, look at um, that idea, and then we'll kind of step into Jesus doing some more healing. And we'll see how that's all connected. So we're in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So they're walking along. Probably what's happening is that they're headed to a synagogue for Jesus to talk, and they get hungry. And the cool thing about the way things are supposed to operate in Israel is that you're not supposed to farm certain parts of your field so that nobody can go hungry. Like if you're hungry, there's a part of a field you can eat out of. You notice that the Pharisees are not saying, how come your disciples are stealing? They say, why are you doing this unlawful thing? Now what is the unlawful thing that they were doing? They were working. Now, we know from the law that was given to Moses that you're supposed to take a Sabbath, and that Sabbath is a rest from work. Okay. Now, by this time, the religious leaders had come up with many laws, for instance, on how, what work is. So if you ate an egg from a chicken who had laid the egg on the Sabbath, then you could eat the egg, but you had to kill the chicken for working. Okay, so there were laws like this, and if you, you can go and, and you can find some of the crazy laws. But what they were doing was trying very hard to make sure that nobody worked. Now, if you remember, we talked last week that Pharisees weren't necessarily the ones who were the expert experts at the law, but they were kind of the enforcers, right? And in particular, their job was to enforce how Young leaders like Jesus were operating. They need to make sure that as they were gathering people, they were in line with the law. And so they were questioning Jesus about how he dealt with his disciples preparing some food for themselves as they walked along, right? Um, and, and here's what Jesus says to them. He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need. In the days of Alabathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for people, and people, not people, for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. So he tells them the story that about David. Now David is the second king. He's the most famous king in the Old Testament. He's a man who's said to be after God's own heart. He wrote a whole bunch of songs. We call the Psalms. He's a really important, important person. And what he did when he was running from Saul is he and his companions were really, really hungry. Now Saul was the first king and he was trying to kill David. So they, they ate bread that was only for the priest and the priest gave it to them and they were hungry. Okay. Well, that breaks the rules, right? That, that's not the way it's supposed to be. But that was okay. It was okay for David to do. And so they had, so he's making a point there. Now, 
I was thinking about this whole idea of Sabbath and rest, and in my house with my wife, we've been talking about this idea of the tyranny of the urgent versus the benevolence of the present. Okay, so I'm going to talk about this a lot. So hold that: the tyranny of the urgent versus the benevolence of the present. Okay, now tyranny. Um, think about a dictator who forces his will on you. He's tyrannical, right? He's making you do what he wants you to do. You, most people understand what the word tyranny is. Now, a lot of us in this culture don't have rules on how we should rest. But we have all of these rules, the rules of urgency that we live by. Okay, So most of the time what you and I are doing is we're spending our lives driven by the thing that has to happen right now. And, it, and it's got to be done, right? And we, we busy ourselves with these things. And they, and they drive us, right? Think about your cell phone. How many times do you check your cell phone? Let's just get a guess. Okay, tell me how many times in a day do you check your cell phone? Twelve times. I think that's really... Hello. 112. Is it a school day? <laughs> how, how nice is your teacher? Um, all right, so let's just, I, I don't know statistically how many times people check it. I'm just, let's take a, just take, you know, 100 times a day roughly, says the statistician, okay? So you check it. Now, what do you guys check your cell phones for? Mostly. Time, Facebook, Instagram, text messages. If you won the lottery. (laughs) Phone calls, sports scores, time, email, the date, yes, your schedule and your planner, time, the weather, we said time under times, yes. Do you see, this little box controls you. I'm telling you, it does. In fact, they've done studies where when bosses will will ban cell phones from work, people are more productive and they report enjoying their jobs more. Right? Because what happens? It buzzes, you check it. They buzz it, you check, you're constantly waiting for the next thing, waiting for that mass email that you're going to get and then delete, Right? What somebody said on Facebook, a cute picture of a baby on Instagram. It kind of drives us, right? But it's not just our cell phones. If you're at home, (laughs) that's all right. No, she doesn't. She cares about banana. Um, so, when you're at home, a lot of times what you're driven by is the thing that needs the dishes. They need to get done now. The the laundry it needs to get. The kids need. The, we're driven by the thing that's in front of us right now. It's got to get done, right? And what happens is is that when we are driven by those rules, by those that tyranny of the urgent, what happens is, is you and I begin to die inside. And not only do we begin to die inside, I would argue, we lose sight of people. And we lose sight 
of the important. Now, what was it that David's men needed? They were hungry and in need. They were hungry and in need. But the law would prevent them from being fed or taken care of, right? That's the point that Jesus is making, is that if you were to, if the Sabbath was made to control people, then David would not be fed and David would not be taken care of. The needy and the hungry would be missed. So, though you and I may not have a lot of rules about how it is that you should rest, you and I do have a lot of urgencies that drive who we are and control us to the point where I would argue that we lose or don't see the people who are hungry and the people who are in need in front of us, right? We don't see that in our wives, our kids, our friends, and the people in our community. But what Jesus says is that he, remember he says he's the son of man, that he's the one who's the Lord of the Sabbath. So he's the one who can kind of tell you what it looks like. And so he's going to kind of lay out how this is supposed to work in this next passage in chapter 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So, what happened is, Jesus enters in to a a synagogue, probably to talk, probably the one in Capernaum, where he's living and where he's known, and he's going to chat with them. And... The Pharisees, who are the enforcers, are looking at this man as a way of trapping Jesus. Okay? So here we have a man who has a shriveled hand, which is probably from a stroke or some kind of brain aneurysm, but we don't know. But his hand is shriveled in. He's in pain. He's suffering. And yet what happens is, is these people who are driven by the rules of Sabbath right, don't see him as a human being, but they see him as a way of getting Jesus out of the way. He's just an end to a means. Okay? Now, I would argue that you and I are not actually much different than the Pharisees. That when we are driven by the tyranny of the urgent, when we're driven by the thing that has to get done, people aren't human anymore. Our kids aren't human. Our wife isn't human. We just want something. We have a goal. And so humans in front of us, their neediness, their hunger is only a tool for us to get what we want or to be pushed down the side or we just don't see them. So this man has become an object for the Pharisees' plan against Jesus. Now Jesus says to the man who's sitting there, Stand up in front of everyone. Now, I want to talk, just let me just kind of illustrate a little bit from my own life how maybe this tyranny of the urgent works and this point of decision that we can kind of learn from this guy how we break through it. So on Wednesday, my wife, somewhere between the dollar store and my parents' house, lost her wallet. Okay? So she comes home at about 5 o'clock, and we have 
Samantha and her kids coming over, and then we have more little kids coming over because it's women's pilgrim group, and we're the babysitters. Okay, so Susan has lost two credit card, well, three, two debit cards, two credit cards, all our health insurance cards, her driver's license, um, and we're and I'm getting ready for a big old meal with a bunch of people at the table, and we're supposed to be there present with a bunch of kids under the eight you know, eight years old, they've got to do their homework, they got to play together nicely, they want us to help them with the Legos and the Playmobil, they want us to be there. But all, you know, when that kind of happens, when Sue comes home, what are all we are thinking about? Well, we, how, how do you cancel these credit cards? How do you get your drive, how do you change your driver's license? Like, I didn't want to cook anymore, I didn't want to do any, all I want to do is fix this problem, right? The urgent thing that needs to be done right now. And you're freaking out because you think it's stolen. Now, the sad thing is, just as a side note, we managed to get everything replaced. And then just yesterday, my dad said, oh, I found your wallet. Right? So once you've replaced everything. But in the moment, we, we, we got to get it replaced. But if the anxiety and if the like energy put forward towards replacing everything, if that's what we're about, then all I'm really thinking is, how do I feed these kids? How do I get them set up at the table? How do I get them to be quiet so that we can figure, so Sue and I can go over in the corner and start talking about what needs to get done and how she's going to do this. And I'm leaving on Thursday to go to Phoenix, so we got to take care of this now. Right? we got to take care of it now. And yet I think, like this picture, if you imagine the Pharisees to be, you know, the tyranny of that wallet, and those little kids to be people who are in need and hungry, then actually the man with the shriveled hand is me and my wife. And Jesus is saying to us, come here, stand up in front of me. Now you have to understand how difficult that had to be for him. Because if he decides to stand up in front of all these Pharisees and risk getting healed, which he knows Jesus has been healing people, he's probably seen it, He's also risking losing being part of the community. He's risking being able to worship at temple. He's taking a risk to do to be with Jesus. Now, this is why Sue and I come up with this term, the benevolence of the present. Now, benevolence, you know, he's a kind uh, ruler, someone who, who deals with you kindly. Jesus is always in the present. Because in the present, there's always people who are hungry and people who are needy, which would be us. But we're always avoiding the present. Right? Now, the thing that, as we're wrestling with the things of urgency, and you all know what they are, you know the things that drive you and rule you, the invitation I hope you hear tonight is that Jesus is saying to you, come here. Stand up. Take a risk that, you know, that thing doesn't need to get, the wallet doesn't get, need to get taken care of because actually I know it's just underneath the, uh, you know, coffee table at your parents' house. Right? Just, just stand up. Take the risk. Take the chance of, of standing up with Jesus. Now, what's the risk? If you've taken that risk, you know that standing in the presence with Jesus is actually pretty empty. Right? It's actually pretty empty. 
Because what's happened is, is that you and I are so driven by the tyranny of the urgent that we have shriveled, that hand is, is our heart. We've become shriveled inside. right? And so, when we decide to stand in the present with Jesus and care for somebody else, it feels really, really uncomfortable. Okay? And feels a little empty. And what living in the urgent does for us is kind of at least numbs out the fact that life doesn't work the way we want, that our wives and husbands and kids don't behave the way we want, that our students in our class, the people we work with, everything is messed up. And we actually have to stand in that because that's where the needy, helpless people are. And it feels a little empty because we're finding out that we're the needy and the helpless person. right? And the thing that's been driving us is the tyranny of the urgent. Now, Luke tells us that this man's hand is his right hand. Okay? So if you go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, you'll find out that this is he's, it's his right hand that's shriveled up, which is also very important because as a Hebrew, your left hand is the hand you do all the gross stuff with. I'll let you imagine that. And your right hand is the hand that you do all the good things with. So the very it's not just that he's got a shriveled hand, but the very thing that gives him the opportunity to care for other people to, to bless other people, to be part of the community, is this hand that shriveled up. The opportunity. And so Jesus calls him to stand up. And then, I'd like to, I mean, he does this, right? Remember, he heals the paralytic. He doesn't say, get up and walk. The first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. Jesus likes to talk before he heals people. Um, so this is what he says. Then Jesus asked them, speaking of the, the religious leaders, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. Now you need to understand how smart this was because you see, back in the Maccabean Wars, which was, you know, a couple hundred years before Jesus, or hundred years, uh, they'd figured out, the Israelites' enemies had figured out that if you attack the Israelites on Sabbath, they won't defend themselves. And so the rabbi said, well, hey, wait, wait a minute. It may be good not to get slaughtered on Saturday, you know, Saturday. So it's okay to defend yourself on Saturday, on Sabbath. It's okay to work, you know, protect yourself to not die. And so what Jesus is saying to them is, you guys have already said it's okay to protect your life. It's okay to do something good on the Sabbath. So they, they don't have anything to say. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Now, it's easy for us to say, well, that makes sense. They had way too many rules about Sabbath. I'd be angry too, right? I'd be frustrated too. But actually, here we go. This is what I love about Mark. Mark writes very short accounts and he tells you how Jesus feels. And what he's saying is, is Jesus was angry at them. Now, what does it mean to be angry? All it needs to be angry is, is that somebody wants someone else to do something and that person doesn't cooperate. Therefore, you get angry at them, right? That's, that's how, why you're angry is you don't have what you want to have happen. Jesus wants these people not to be ruled by the Sabbath, but to understand the true meaning of it for rest, okay? But if you are ruled by the tyranny of the urgent, then I would argue that Jesus has got the same frustration at you. 
And he's upset at your stubborn heart. That there's, there is an emotional, the God of the universe has an emotional reaction to the way you and I are driven by the urgent and the impact it's had on our culture and on our church and on life. Right? He's, he gets upset. I think that's important because a lot of times when I interact with Jesus, it's hard for me to think, oh, Jesus, Jesus is somebody who feels things deeply. Right? And he expresses it. And so I want you to know that when you're, when you're wrestling with these things, that Jesus experiences them in a deep way. And he gets distressed and he gets angry. And so he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees, okay, the, the, law, the, the, the people who enforced the law, went out and began to plot with the Herodians. Now the Herodians, actually nobody really knows who they are. Now lots of scholars have said, yeah, we think it's you know, people connected to Herod Agrippa, blah, blah. And people even gone as far as saying maybe Paul was a Herodian. But the, what we think is that the Herodians were the people with power. Okay? They had some power. And they had some money. And so the Pharisees are plotting with them to get rid of Jesus, because Jesus has definitely become a problem. Now, Jesus asked the man to stretch out his hand. In Psalm 143, David, the one that Jesus was talking about, verse 6 says, I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. As I was thinking about that verse, I was thinking that well, this man's hand, the hand that he worships God with, is parched. And what's happened when you and I have lived and been driven by the tyranny of urgent is that we're parched. And we're desperate. And so the thing that Jesus is asking as you, when you identify the things that drive you that way is to stand up, to say, okay, I'm not going to do those things. But he's asking you to now stretch out your hand. And when you stretch out your hands like this. I know here at the village, like we'd rather sink down into our seats to praise God. And lifting our hands, some of us will do this. We're like, okay, Jesus. you know. But there's this idea of stretching. Like when you're stretching out your hands because you're thirsty, it's, it's like a big embrace. And so what Jesus is saying to this man is like, reach for me. Reach out your hand. Reach the hand that, that connects us in relationship. Reach it out. So here's the thing. The benevolence of the present. When you decide to not be ruled by the tyranny of the urgent, you begin to meet Jesus because you begin to see the human, your own humanity and the humanity of the people around you. Now, let's go back to the idea of Sabbath. Because if we're going to be a community who keeps talking about, hey, we want to be a community that heals people, right? In fact, the name of our, our title of our, I don't know, whatever, it's the village, healing the city, one person at a time. That's who we are. We got a chair back there called the healing chair, right? We're talking about healing people, right, in their heart, their emotions, their soul, their personality, their mind, the way they think, their body. Like that's what we're talking about. If that's what we talk about, well, what we've seen with Jesus, if we're going to be imitators of Jesus, is he keeps getting away. Right? It says in Luke that he gets away to lonely places. I think that Sabbath, which means rest, is key 
to being someone who lives in the present and lives under the benevolence of the present, under Jesus and what he's doing in the present. And so I would like to invite you guys to to do that. And I'm going to show you how this works, is to begin to be somebody who lives out a life of Sabbath. Because I think this is the only way that you can kind of get a hold on the urgent and begin to see what God's calling you to in the present. Okay? Um, so first I want to talk about uh, this thing called mindfulness meditation. Now, don't freak out. The pastor hasn't gotten you laid or anything like that. But in the way of in, in med- being mindful in your meditation, I think it's a very biblical thing, and it's something that I think probably Jesus practiced. And this is what I want to invite you to do. Is to go into a place to rest, and we'll kind of talk how you get there. But when you decide to rest, that you take some time, and what you do is you begin to observe yourself. So you begin to think about the emotions that you're actually having. So if you're angry, don't try to fix the anger. Just think, huh, I wonder why I'm angry. I wonder what, where, oh, I feel anger right here. Let the anger pass by. Think, think about, as you're just watching your body, thinking about it, sitting still, and you, maybe you feel really empty. Well, where does the emptiness come from? Like, is it down here? Is it up here? Like, begin to, like, get a command of your body and what you're thinking. Because here's the thing. If you're going to bring everything under subject, under Jesus, and if you're going to live in the present, then you need to know yourself. And you need to know how you feel. And you need to know what's going on around you physically. Okay? Part of resting is understanding who you are. Alright? So that you can put it under Christ. And so that when you get in that moment when you're thinking, oh, I need to go fix that thing. Or, oh man, I need to get the laundry done. And your child is trying to get you to sit down and play Legos with you. You're gonna, you're gonna be able to like, oh, you're gonna have like a sense of your, your body and what's happening there and you'll be able to, easier for you to kind of meet Jesus with your child. Now, here's how I'm gonna get you there. Let's go back to your cell phones. Okay? I want you to do a favor for me. I'm gonna give you two assignments. You can choose either one. Assignment number one is all I want you to do this week is write down at the end of the day how many times you checked your cell phone. Okay, so either you take a little notepad and just tally it or use your cell phone to tally how many times you looked at your cell phone. Just come up with a number that week. I want you to kind of say, oh my gosh, I looked at my cell phone 1,000 times in seven days. Okay, I want you just to have that sense of how this little device. Okay. Now, if you want to go a little further, here's what I want you to do. I want you to use your cell phone as a cue, okay? So as soon as you look at your cell phone and you start reading Facebook, that's a cue. I want you to think in your head, oh, Eric talked about this. I want you to put your cell phone back in your pocket. And if you're, I mean, your environments are going to matter here, but if you have time to pull out your cell phone, then you have time to rest somewhere. Maybe it's two minutes, whatever. I want you to just stop and actually take stock of what you're thinking, what you're feeling, okay? and who might be around you. And here's what I think the reward to that will be. 
The reward to that is that what you're going to do is you're going to have Je- you're going to hear Jesus say, "Come here, stand up, come over," and he's going to ask you to stretch out your hand. He's going to actually begin to make you alive inside. Okay, so I know that might cover about ninety percent of you. Some of you, because I know you people, there's like ten percent of the villagers who just don't look at their cell phones. You've got the analog phone. Um, you know, the only time you ever look at it is because it's ringing and you're answering it. So maybe it's your computer. If you can't figure out what the tyranny of the urgent is in your life, then come talk to me and we'll figure it out together. And we'll use that. And you can tally up how many times you, you are controlled or driven by that. Okay? Do kids count? What do you, oh, the tyranny of the urgent. <laughs> How many times you talk to them? I guess tally that up. <laughs> How many times? Yeah, you're the tyranny. Yeah, you're their urgent. Um, sure. Sure. Take. You're gonna take. Yeah. Take a deep breath. You're gonna say, "How do I feel? Who's around me? Talk to Jesus. Okay, Jesus." What is it that you want me to do? What do you want me to be? What do you want me to think? You know, I think what happens is, is because we have shriveled up so much inside that we have no self-awareness. Because the urgent has driven us so much. And it's really, we have, here's the narrative of the urgent in our lives is really big. And the narrative of the present, the benevolent present, is so small that any choice you make to sit down with your child and focus, bless you, that was a good one. Um, any any kind of time where you choose to be present and enter somebody's weakness, enter somebody's need, is going to feel super awkward because you actually haven't done it a lot. You haven't really been that aware. I'm not that aware. Right? This is something I need to practice. So I'm inviting you to join me in it. Okay. So usually what I say to you guys is, hey, please tell me about how this went. And two of you will talk to me. So I would like to a- encourage more of you to talk to me. I'm going for the goal of five of you this week to talk to me on Sunday at the Super Bowl party um, about how many times you looked at your cell phone or the times that you chose to use that cell phone as a cue to begin to form some good, better habits and to begin to be aware of what's happening in your life. Okay? What time is it? I have two minutes. Does anybody kind of want to make a comment or ask a question? Or, um, or I'll just pray. Questions? Thoughts? Yes, in the back and then over here. Yes. Yes, too many stresses connected to the tyranny of the urgent. Go for it. Have I already done this? No, I haven't counted how many times I've looked at my cell phone. I was going to join. Yeah, please ask me. I can join with you in that. That's my plan. Um, yes, in the back. Well, this whole time, what, what have we been talking about? That our mission as a community is to be disciples who are imitating Jesus. And as we've looked at Jesus' story, he's constantly speaking healing into people's lives. So to be a good disciple, what we've been saying is 
We need to be people who are willing to pray over people, declare healing in people's lives, be part of that healing process. So, you really can't offer people the healing of Jesus if you're unaware of them or they're only just vehicles for you to get what you need or want. So I'll stop for, for that. Any other? Oh yeah, go ahead. Wow. Well, I guess I don't want to say that's awesome, but that's a really cool example. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. I'll pray. Jesus, thank you um, for continuing to be faithful to us, for calling us to live under you in the present and not to run away from that. Um, I just ask that as we eat and as we talk and as we sing that um, you would be honored in all of that. That's in your name, Jesus. Amen.